Man, you guys look fired up today. I don't know if it's the mass or what, but you look excited. Hey, welcome to those of you on campus, those of you watching online, those of you watching us from your dear blind. Thank you for being here today in whatever capacity. Hey, this is, we're moving into holiday season, right? So part of holiday season typically is getting together with family, friends to celebrate. And one of the common phrases I hear a lot is that, well, when we get together, we don't talk about religion or politics. Anybody relate to that? Well, this morning we're going to talk about religion and politics. So you're a good company, get it out of your system early uh, and we can go on. Hey, we started this sermon series called Not Ashamed, going through the book of Romans. If you remember the first Sunday, we looked at Romans chapter 1, the first part, where God said there is no one that has any excuse not to believe that there is a higher power, not to believe that there is a God, a creator of all things that you see, because all of creation points to God. And then we looked at the second half of Romans chapter 1, where it kind of deals with our own sinfulness, our depravity, and some of the results, the consequences of disobedience to God. And there's a list of sins that Paul talks about. And we kind of put a little more emphasis on the sin of homosexuality that's included in that list. And the reason we kind of landed on that for a little bit was because it's so highly accepted in our society, which is totally contrary to God's word and what God says about it. And so we talked about how do, how do we love, how do we show the love of Christ, uh, but stand up for truth. Then we jumped all the way to Romans 6, I know a big leap, but Romans chapter 6, where Paul says in the first part, what should we say then? How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? And so we talked about the fact that we are dead to sin as a Christ follower. You're dead to the power of sin in your life. You're dead to the penalty of sin. Jesus paid that. But then we looked at Romans 7 last week where we still struggle with it. If our sin nature is dead, why do we keep going back to it? Why does it keep living in our lives? And all of us can relate to that cycle of wanting to do what's good but failing uh, and not wanting to do bad but giving in and temptation. We talked about what that's like. How do we break free from that cycle? Use the big word sanctification. That as a Christian, we're all in process to become more like Christ, but it is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process of growth and transformation that we experience. So today I'm jumping all the way to Romans chapter 13 because Paul deals with the issue of what does it mean to be a good Christian citizen just in the world, not part of the church, but just a part of the world. How do we relate to that? And so in light of this I hear there's a big election coming up Tuesday. You may or may not be aware of it. But in light of that, I want to kind of jump up to Romans chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open there. Um, But to kind of set the attitude about where Paul is going to take us and where we want to head with this message, I found this picture in the Wall Street Journal this past week. Uh, And it's a picture of two neighbors that live next door to each other. And I've seen this even in the city of Burleson where this has occurred. So you see one yard has the Biden sign, so obviously proclaiming who they are for. And the other yard has a Trump sign in it, right? Obviously proclaiming who they are for. So they're opposites in political parties as far as politics is concerned. But if you'll notice, they both have a a white sign with an arrow in the yard pointing to the other neighbor. It's a little hard to read, but what that sign says is we heart each other or we love each other, right? I think that's a beautiful picture of where Paul is headed, where we're headed with this message this morning, that it is okay to have opposing views. 
Is it, okay, it is okay to represent political parties, but the bottom line is we are called to love each other. That is the church. That is what we are supposed to do. This is what Paul will challenge us, even command us to do, as we understand what it means to live in this political world that we live in and in this nation known as America. So if you have your Bible, look at Romans chapter 13. Let me just read the first eight verses. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And what's interesting is when Paul wrote this, he's writing to Christians in Rome. There were no Christians in authority in Rome. Christianity was new. It was still run by non-believers in the Roman Empire. So he's writing not because, hey, support all the Christians that are in authority. There weren't any. He's saying support, obey those who are in authority over you because, and here's the hopeful statement, because they've been established by God. Paul starts off with this statement of hope because as crazy as our world is, and as divided as our political scene is, he reminds us all at the beginning, God is still in charge. He is still king of kings. He is still Lord of lords. He is still president of presidents, rulers of all rulers. He is sovereign. So don't be afraid because things are jacked up. They've always been jacked up, right? And if you're looking to your guy or your girl to lead in politics, and make everything better and make everything right and bring hope to the world, you're going to be sadly disappointed because they can't. <laughs> it's just not within their ability. So Paul says, first of all, to remind us that God has established political authorities. And you can look throughout Scripture, you can look throughout history, that God has partnered with those who are in authority that believe in him, that follow him. You can go all the way back to Joseph in Egypt. Remember the guy with the coat with many colors? His brothers hated him so much, they sold him into slavery. He went through a series of unfortunate events until God used his ability to interpret dreams to get Joseph out of jail and put him in second in command of all of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh, right before the famine and drought hit. And so God used Joseph and his influence to really save the Jewish people from dying from hunger. So we see that God used Joseph. You can go to Moses and Joshua, leading the people out of Egypt to the promised land. You can go to the book of Esther, where you have Mordecai, the Jewish leader, Esther, who becomes queen to a pagan king. And God put her in a place for such a time as this 
because God was going to use Mordecai and Esther to save the Jewish people from being annihilated. This was way before Nazi Germany. But this evil guy Haman had caused the king to put out an edict that on a certain day at a certain time, you could kill Jews for free. And so God used Esther's influence, steered by Mordecai, to save the Jewish people. So we see throughout history, throughout the Bible, God uses leaders who trust in him. But we've also seen God use leaders who don't trust in him, who don't even believe in him. Go back to Egypt, the Israelites, in slavery, 400 years, and Moses shows up, and he tells the king, you need to let God's people go. It took 10 plagues before the Pharaoh finally let God's people go. And if you read that passage after the Passover, when the death angel came by and all the firstborn died, then Pharaoh said, get these people out of here. You can go worship your God and just take whatever you want. <laughs> it was the first PPP money ever given to God's people, right? He, and so the Bible says they took gold, they took silver, they took clothes, they plundered Egypt. <laughs> they took all their resources and took it with them as they made their way to the promised land. So we see that God used a Pharaoh that didn't believe in him. Let's go back to Christmas. King Herod, this evil King Herod that wanted to kill baby Jesus. So he found out that where Jesus was supposedly, and so he sent men to kill all the first, all the males, all two years and younger. So kill every baby boy two years and younger. Because of this, the angel came to Joseph and Mary, said, you need to get Jesus out of here. You need to go to Nazareth, which fulfills Old Testament prophecy that Messiah would come out of Nazareth. So he, here's an evil king that God still used to accomplish his will and his goal. Listen, God is in charge. His will will be accomplished regardless of who's in office. So that brings security for us in the church and reminds us where our hope lies. So we believe in this, we trust in this, but God also calls us to participate in politics. As Paul reminds us, God is calling many to serve in public office, locally, statewide, nationally, worldwide. God is calling his followers to serve. It's not the church and then politics. It, it, it mixes in. So God is calling many to serve. We, we all need to participate. This is a political world that we live in. And we need to participate in politics. One of the things you need to do is you need to vote. This is our right, this is our privilege. And we don't wanna take it for granted. We don't wanna act like it's not a big deal. Just vote. We need to vote, it's important. Here's a picture of Rob and I, we went and did our early voting. It only took like five minutes. You know, I heard horror stories of two hours. It only took like five minutes. And we got a little sticker, which means something, apparently. It's kind of cool. So we vote. That's what we do. Christians vote. Christians, you need to vote. It's important that you do and make your voice heard. But one thing I would say is make sure you're an informed voter. I don't know that it's always a wise idea to vote a straight party line. Can I say that? Yeah. It's important that you know what the people that you're voting for believe in, stand for, what they're about. And it may be someone is more closely related to what you care about from the other party than from yours. So it's important that we're informed voters. We're, we are smart people. We're intellectuals. We know how to do research. We can find out what people stand for. 
The other thing I would encourage you to do is pray about who to vote for. You ever pray about who you're going to vote for? <laughs> you ever thought about asking God, God, who should I vote for? For this office, this office, this office? You get to that line, you go down that sheet, here's two names I don't know. Right? Here's Republic, Democrat, Independent. I don't know which one to go for. God, who should I vote for? Trust the Holy Spirit to lead you. I, I, we don't talk a lot about praying for our vote. But it's important that we ask the Lord who we should vote for. Engage with legislators. Uh, you can write your senators. You can write your representatives. You can write your, your congresspeople. You can call them. You know they get a lot of hate mail, a lot of hate emails. Let's ask questions. It's good to ask questions. Don't belittle or berate them. But encourage them. Hey, thank you for your service. It, it's a special calling to serve in politics. Half the people love you, half the people hate you. It's always that way, even if it switches, right? You just, I can't imagine the difficulty that they go through. You've got to have tough skin to be in politics. So wouldn't it be great to hear an encouraging word from a Christ follower? Say, hey, I'm praying for you. I appreciate what you do and how you serve. And I praise God it's not me, Right? So we can encourage our legislators, write letters, attend meetings, serve in public office. God may be calling some of you to serve in public office, locally, statewide, nationally. God calls his children. As Paul says, God establishes authorities. Part of that are Christian authorities that he puts people in place. Last year, I got the privilege to go down to Austin to the Capitol and pray before a legislative session. And I got to meet Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, and Brian Birdsall, who is, is our senator, and we got to talk about faith. These are believers. Uh, Roger Williams, got to meet him. He Actually, he was here in our church a couple years ago. These are men who believe in Jesus, and they've accepted a call to public office. It was very encouraging to talk about Jesus in, in a public political arena and the fact that I got to pray before a session. Now, I had to submit my prayer. They had to okay it, but still, I got to pray, right? So that's cool. That's encouraging. And so God is calling people to serve. There's a leadership principle that nations rise and fall on leadership. That's true in business. That's true in churches. That's true in family. Nations rise and fall on leadership. God is placing his people in leadership. Those who trust him, those belong to him. But even if people don't, God still orchestrates to carry out his plan. Now, I encourage you to participate, but I encourage you not to put your hope in an election. I love what Chuck Colson said. The kingdom of God will not arrive on Air Force One. <laughs> Listen, somebody's going to win Tuesday. Somebody's going to lose. Some of the world will freak out because of who won or who lost. There's going to be great panic, and there's going to be great celebration. And whoever's in office, some things are going to change. Some things are going to get better. Some things are going to get worse. And some things are going to stay the same. And in four years, we're going to be saying this is the most important election in the history of the United States of America, all right? The same thing we say every four years. And that's, the, that's what's going to happen. Some things will get better. Some things will get worse. Some things will stay the same. Because God did not call on politics to bring peace to our nation. He's called us, the church, to stand for what is right. One of my, you guys know this by now, I'm a huge Charlie Brown fan because I feel like I can relate to him in, in many ways. So I love Peanuts. I love Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, the teacher, wah, 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 wah. You know, I love all that. Uh, I also love the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. Now, apparently they're not airing these shows on primetime this year, which makes me sad, but you can still find them. 
But if you've never seen The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, you need to. Because Linus, you know his buddy Linus with the blanket. Linus believes in something, it's an urban legend, The Great Pumpkin. And so he is anticipating, much like he does Santa Claus at Christmas, The Great Pumpkin to come and make Halloween great. And so he begins to talk to Charlie Brown about The Great Pumpkin, who Charlie Brown has never heard of. And so Linus makes this statement. He said, I've learned not to talk to people about three things, religion, politics, and the great pumpkin. But somehow he convinces Charlie Brown to go wait in the pumpkin patch for the great pumpkin to come and, and make Halloween great. Well, they sit out there for hours. It's getting dark, and Halloween is passing by, and the great pumpkin never shows up. So greatly dejected and disappointed, but Linus says, but he will be here next year. And I think that's how some of us view politics. Hey, it didn't go my way this way, but next time it will. It didn't make everything great this time, but next time it will. Everything didn't go in the way that I thought it should, but next time it will. And that's just an endless cycle of frustrating comments. <laughs> because no, it will not. It never will. It'll never be all that we hope and want it to be. Because that's not what God has designed that for. That's why he's placed us, the church. And that's why it's so important. So here's where Paul takes us to. Participate in politics. Support your leaders and authorities. But the ultimate goal is to serve the highest authority. Obey and support government authorities. He says that in Romans 13 verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Submit to governing authorities. We need to be obedient, law-abiding citizens. He jumps down to verse 6 and 7. This is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. I wish he left that out. That would have been a loophole, right? But he says, no, you got to pay taxes, okay? If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. The third thing we're supposed to do is pray for them. Pray for our leadership. Pray for those in authority above us. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, when he writes, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. He lists this right up front of his list of who to pray for, to pray for kings, pray for those in authority. I hope that you pray for those, whether you voted for them or not, that you pray for those who are in authority over us, locally, statewide, nationally, that we pray for those who are in leadership. We, we, you know, we say the Pledge of Allegiance. We pledge ourselves to be good citizens. And this is what Paul's talking about, how to be a, a good Christian citizen in this world. We, we need to give the Pledge of Allegiance on our knees. I pledge allegiance to the flag, the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. One of the phrases I always try to get taken out is under, one nation under God. This is what we need to pray for. One nation, unity. We're a very divided nation. We're divided on many things. We need to pray for unity. We are here to promote unity, to promote peace. We are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. So one of the things we need to be praying for in our nation is unity. The second thing we need to pray for America is that we will come under the authority of God. Whether we were ever there at the beginning or not, we're not now. We can't say that we live in a Christian nation, but our responsibility is to pray that God would cause 
and lead America, and maybe he would choose some of us to help that process to lead America under the authority of God, one nation under God. That's what makes us indivisible. That's when liberty and and justice are provided for all, when God is being served as king. That's why we are the remnant. That's why we are here. This is our message. This is our political message, that God is king of kings and Lord of lords, and all who call out to him will be received and find love and peace and hope. Pray for them. Pledge our allegiance to pray for them. But ultimately, where Paul takes us is that we are to obey God, first of all. Can I just say this to you? There is no God party. God doesn't wear red. He doesn't wear blue. He doesn't wear independent. God is not for one party over the other. I hear in this season people that will say, how in the world can you call yourself a Christian and vote for the Democratic Party? And then I can walk across the aisle And somebody say, how in the world can you be a Christian and support Donald Trump? So, (laughs) right? So even in the church, we've bought into this idea that God favors one over the other. No, God is for all. Jesus died for all. His grace is sufficient for all. That's our message. We are to be bridge builders. Even if the neighbor next to you is plastered in the candidate you don't want. <laughs> We're to love them. Go put a sign in your ar- yard with an arrow pointing, say, we heart them. <laughs> that is our message. That's just where Paul is taking us. Matthew twenty-two twenty-one. He said to them, Jesus talking, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. He's not calling the church to be anti-government. He's putting each category in its place. We are to serve those in authority as we are to serve God. Because again, God establishes those in authority. Those agree with him and those who don't. Those who follow him and those who don't. God is sovereign. God is in control. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Even when we oppose political leaders. Even when we disagree with them, we are to love them, support them in the character of Christ. We are Christians. We are like Christ, becoming like Christ. We need to support them with the character of Christ. I I saw this uh, video on YouTube the other day. It's two guys running for the governorship in Utah. I thought, man, if we could get to this point, it would cut out a lot of the heartburn in our nation. Watch this video. I'm Chris Peterson. And I'm Spencer Cox. We are currently in the final days of campaigning against each other to be your next governor. And while I think you should vote for me... Yeah, but but really you should vote for me. There are some things we both agree on. We can debate issues without degrading each other's character. We can disagree without hating each other. And win or lose in Utah, we work together. So let's show the country that there's a better way. My name's Chris Peterson. And I'm Spencer Cox. And we we approve approve this message. Isn't that refreshing? Yeah. How about that? It's like, wow. Man, if we could get there, wouldn't that be awesome? How much that would change things. Yeah, yeah, really. Third, fourth, fifth, I don't know, however many parties we need. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, 
as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let's be honest, sometimes it's not possible. What happens when the government says something that we don't believe in? What happens when the government passes a law we don't agree with? What when the government puts down an edict that is anti-God, that is anti-Christian, that is against the Word of God? If it is possible. Acts 5.29, Peter before the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is telling Peter and his buddies, you can't talk about Jesus. You can't preach Jesus anymore. This is the statement he makes. We must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. And that is our commitment as a Christ follower, is it not? So what happens when the government passes a law that we don't agree with? Is it okay for a Christ follower to protest? Not violent protest, not rioting, right? But is it all right for a Christian to protest? When do we protest if it's all right for us to protest? Do we protest when the government passes a law that we don't agree with? The government has made abortion legal, right? So does that mean we can disobey the government as a whole because there's a law that we don't agree with? Or is it when the law, the government commands a Christian to do something that is evil? Let's say that, for instance, in our country, they commanded, our government commanded for a woman to have an abortion if there was a defect with the baby. What do we do then? How do we respond something that is commanded upon us that we know is evil directly contrary to God's word? Is it okay to rebel then? These are important questions that we deal with as Christ followers because it's not all super simple, is it? But in this statement, we are to obey God above man. So when mankind, human beings, tell us we need to do something, we have to do something, legally we have to do something that God said is not our right, we obey God, not governments, not man. There are times that we must take a stand. Now, I, I think even as divided as Christians are on politics, we have Christian Democrats, we have Christian Republicans, we have Christian Independents, that, that we are divided. I, I think the bottom line for hopefully all Christ followers is we want justice. We believe in justice. We believe in liberty and justice for all. And maybe how we think that happens is different, and that's maybe the separation but hopefully we're all striving for the same thing, even though we may view it differently and want it to happen differently. And this is where Paul takes it in verses 8. He tells us that love fulfills the law. Let no de debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. Here's the key. The church is to love. Even those who are hard to love, even those who don't love us back, we are called to love. You remember that picture I showed you at the beginning, the two neighbors? So the person that wrote that article interviewed these two families and said, how do you guys get along? How, come you're, how are you able to be friends even though you oppose one another politically? Uh, and this is what they said. First of all, we don't label each other. <laughs> we know each other's names. We don't call them red or blue or Democrat or Republican. We, we don't label each other and we don't argue. We don't belittle, we don't berate the other one because of their beliefs. So just on a sidebar, I would, I would, well, I would strongly encourage you not to rant and rave on social media. I've read some of your posts. 
It's embarrassing, honestly. Let's put out positive messages. I mean, put what you agree with. Now, if there's injustice, yes, let's get real vocal on the injustices in our world. But let's not start tearing people down because they don't think like we think or because they vote for one party or the other, right? So if you're doing that, stop it, okay? Stop it. We're not going to cancel your account, but we are going to come to your house, okay? So just, just know that. Let's, let's promote love and peace on social media. The other thing they said is we, we learn to listen to each other's perspective. May not agree with it, but it's important. I think that's a great policy. You need to hear someone's perspective, even if it may be different than yours. They look for common ground. They have meals together. They fellowship together, and they talk about hockey. They both love hockey. So they talk more about hockey than they talk about politics, but they do talk about politics. And I thought this was a great line. We recognize that reasonable and good people can reach different conclusions. Good people, reasonable reasonable people can reach different conclusions about an issue. So it's okay that we talk about that. In fact, when I was pastor at First Baptist Corpus, I had the head of the Republican Party for that county and the head of the Democratic Party in that county were both members of my church, and they were fishing buddies. <laughs> they were really good friends, and they, lo- they disagreed. And one, I'd go out to lunch once, I, I don't see how he thinks this way. I don't agree. I don't know how he gets there. And the other one would say the same thing about him, right? But they learned how to get along and share peace. Another reason I think this message is so significant for, for us today as Christians, but in particular our church, as we consider what it means to be the church deployed, that we are a church that not comes to a holy huddle. We come to be energized and encouraged, but we go out to the mission field to be the church on our block is because you're going to encounter with people with different political signs than yours in their yard that live next to you. We're going to encounter people of different faiths, of different walks of life, of no faith. And so it's important that we know how to reason, how to communicate, how to have conversation with them, that we might point them to the love of Jesus by demonstrating the love of Jesus and how we treat them. So I think it's important that we understand this. And, and I think it, it, it starts with this, again, our attitude, our understanding, that trusting, I am trusting in the security, provision, and future that God offers me. That's where my trust lies. Not in a political party, not in a political candidate, but I am trusting God. There's a great old hymn. We, there's, it was a part of one of the songs that we sang today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I trust no sweeter frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. The question is, where do you stand today? Are you standing on your politics? Are you standing on the promises of your candidate? Are you truly standing on the foundation that will not be moved, that will not be changed, that will never be destroyed, but is worthy of building your life on? That's the question that Paul poses us. In order to do this, we have to practice love and humility. Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. May we approach those who oppose us, think differently within us, with humility. 
couple other thoughts. Work hard to understand others' perspectives. Listen to others' perspectives and listen to what they have to say. Here's another one. Ask good questions that foster conversation, not that break it down. Don't point fingers. Don't call names. Oh, man. (laughs) Don't call names. Don't call people names. Don't give people nicknames. Right? Don't let your words be divisive. Let them be healing. Ask good questions that foster conversation so you can hear that other perspective. There may be something for you to learn. Maybe you need to change your perspective on something. Find common ground. And then the last one is trade criticism for communion. Trade criticism for communion. The more we commune with the Father, the less critical we become. The more we are wowed by the grace that God offers, the more we are humbled by his forgiveness, the less judgmental we become. And I think for most of us, that is a struggle, (laughs) to not be judgmental. And the key is, the more we, the closer we draw to God, the more compassionate we become, even for those who disagree with us. So here's the challenge that I have for you for the next seven days. And this will last beyond the election. We might not even know who wins by seven days. But this will last long past Tuesday. Every day this week, starting today, 3 o'clock p.m., not 3 o'clock a.m., 3 o'clock p.m., that you will pause and pray for our government, pray for the election, pray for who wins. Can we do that? Very simple. Set your phones right now. Get on your calendar, set it to set you an alarm on your watch, whatever, on your abacus. I don't know what you use, right? Just to set your alarm, 3 o'clock every day this week for seven days, we will stop and we will pray for the leaders of our nation. In fact, let's do that right now. God, we lift up those who are in public office here locally, for our state, for our nation. We thank you for the reminder through Paul's writings today in your word that you are in control. You already know who's going to win. You already know what's going to happen because of who wins. But you are, and you will always be, and you have always been King of kings and Lord of lords, and your will will be accomplished. There's no government that you called to share your message of hope of your son Jesus, but you have called us, the church, to be the voice of peace, to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. God, we seek to bless you with our conversations, with our attitudes, with how we respond after Tuesday. (laughs) That our area, our nation, Father, even our world will be drawn to you by the response of your church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.